2: News Radio 930 WBEN. What would you do if you were elected
3: about Aleppo? About Aleppo. And what is Aleppo? You're kidding. No.
4: It's David Bellavia on News Radio 930
2: WBEN. Wow! That was the vice presidential debate. Oh my goodness gracious. One thing we learned today was that this debate actually occurred 15 miles south of where the Civil War ended. Uh, A a university called, uh, what is it, like, Morningwood University? What was it, Longwood? I don't know what it (laughs) is. Whatever it is, it's a school. Farmville, Virginia, which, by the way, if you've all played Farmville, you know how exciting that can be. That app was the, the first... Facebook app that brought everyone to Facebook. Uh, David Bellavia here taking your calls 8030930 star 930 1 800 616 WBEN. Watch the uh, debate between Tim Kaine and uh, Mike Pence. Of course, Tim Kaine uh, on the Hillary Clinton side, Mike Pence, governor of Indiana on the Trump side. You know, this one, sort of like watching one of those Russian dashboard camera videos. You know it's coming. But you just still have to continue to watch it. You know what I mean. You know, eventually a pedestrian is going to be run over fifty, you know, miles an hour in the rain. But we cannot look away, and that is what I can uh, how I describe this event. Who better to share a microphone with than the man you just heard promoting Rosex? It is uh, Mr. Tom Bowerly, the Heavy One Hundred. Uh, top 100 talkers in the United States of America. He happens to be Buffalo's own. Mr. Bowerly, how are you this evening?
5: Well, I was going to say, much like Rosex vacuums, I thought tonight's moderator absolutely sucked.
2: Dude, let me tell you something, man. She was not only... Now, this is more and more plays into the whole idea of do we need moderators. I thought she was... Uh, extremely inconsistent with the, what she felt was a need to to interrupt people and cut them off, she jumps all over Mike Pence. Allow the man, please allow uh, Senator Kane to finish. She did that probably seven times and gave Kane the last word.
5: Absolutely. I think that that woman is an embarrassment to anybody who would call themselves a journalist. You know, she started out her career educationally in engineering school, and frankly, she should have frickin' stayed there because she was an absolute embarrassment. Mike Pence found himself in a situation of dealing not only with the very snarky and smirky Tim Kaine, but also a moderator who was clearly biased and who clearly was out of her element and who is was clearly absolutely incompetent.
2: You know, I'm really glad that we got Tom Bowerly on a calm afternoon, calm evening. Uh, But uh, he's promised that he he had all these uh, drinking games planned for the presidential debate, and yet uh, for the uh, vice presidential debate, he just sat and watched it sober. I got to be honest with you, he's fired up. I kind of, I I, I mean, first of all, I don't think this is a no-brainer. I mean, as far as who won this debate, I, I think we both agree that Mike Pence won it, but... What's interesting are all of the sample, uh, you know, they're, they're doing all these things with these groups of undecided voters. And Tim Kaine, across the board, uh, came off as uh, almost um, rude. It is the, I'm looking at the one on Fox News. Uh, Frank Luntz uh, said that, that uh, people thought he was rude. He interrupted. Uh, he was uh, too rehearsed. Uh, what, what's your opinion on that?
5: Well, see, I'm not so sure that Mike Pence actually won the debate because again kane had the advantage of a moderator who is clearly in his camp and i'm so glad you brought up the issue of follow-up questions because i counted a minimum of three times where mike pence was asked for an extra defense of his position and tim kane was allowed to skate for example the very very first question dealt with hillary clinton and her untrustworthiness and he basically circumlocuted around the question and she let him skate but the first possible opportunity she jumped in on Pence and demanded a follow-up. I was, however, disappointed that Pence did not have a better answer for the Trump tax return issue. And, by the way, when he tried to say, hey, who pays more taxes than they are legally bound to do? He was interrupted by either Kane or by that sad excuse, that pathetic woman who had the nerve to sit there as a moderator.
2: You find it odd that Tim Kaine, uh mentioned that he will be Hillary Clinton's right-hand person? He, he didn't say right-hand man? I mean, maybe I'm looking too much into this, but I just think that that's almost like an acknowledgement that you've already been emasculated. I mean...
5: It- it, 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 let, let's put it this way uh, I wouldn't expect to see Tim Kaine at Cigar Dave's next event for Alpha Males
2: well he's first of all I mean the uh, there's you know the, the, the famous uh, Nixon-Kennedy debate the people on the radio uh, thought that Richard Nixon won the debate uh, the people that watched it on TV thought that uh, of course John Kennedy won the debate you know I, I wonder the difference between listening to this debate and seeing it uh, but looking at Tim Kaine the guy's not making eye contact with the camera at all. A, a, at least six times, Mike Pence looked directly into the camera to address what the issues were. Uh, Tim Kaine, you can't deny, he's got a creepy look to him. Uh, you know, he's got the eyebrows thing going, the Scorsese, Dukakis eyebrows. Um, and it, it's, he's, you know, but but just the way he, I thought the way he, um, the, the way he kind of had these these practiced, rehearsed, lines that were just waiting to come out uh they they all fell flat there was no there you go again you, you saw mike pence kind of borrow a, a little bit from from reagan but these things were too rehearsed it, it's too much uh, hillary in, in this debate well, you know, there are just
5: so many points to be made about this. And unfortunately, you know, David, we spoke after the first presidential debate about your sense that Donald Trump failed to land any haymakers where opportunities presented themselves against Hillary Clinton. And I really thought that that should be the vice presidential nominee's role to kind uh, of go on the offense and be aggressive against the other team. And let me give you a case in point. Tim Kaine on at least two occasions mentioned, oh, by the way, I don't know if you know this, but bin Laden is dead. And Mike Pence failed dismally to respond to that by saying, look, Joe Biden is responsible directly for the deaths of the guys who killed Bin Laden because on May 3rd, 2 days after Bin Laden was killed by SEAL Team 6 in violation of all national security protocols, the vice president of the United States, Barack Obama's second-hand man, came out and told everybody, "Hey, it was SEAL Team 6." Hours after Biden said that, a man by the name of Aaron Vaughn called his mother in tears and said, we're all dead. We are getting some serious chatter now that the bad guys know who we are. We are all dead. So you need to delete and erase everything, and sure enough, Uh, Aaron Vaughn was one of those killed when the chopper-carrying guys from SEAL Team 6 was shot down in Afghanistan. Mike Pence had a golden opportunity to say, yeah, you killed bin Laden, and by the way, your vice president got our guys killed in SEAL Team 6. Glorious opportunity and a great chance to stand up for our military, and Pence blew it.
2: What was that extortion? What was the name of that uh, bird? The the bird that was shot down, the Chinook, was it like Extortion Thirteen or something? Was that was the name of the uh...
5: what the operational name of that yeah. particular
2: uh... yeah? It was a uh, yeah. Uh, neither here nor there. The point is,
5: uh, I, I spoke with I, Aaron Blond's mom at the RNC, and she holds Joe Biden directly responsible for the death of her son.
2: Many people do. Many yeah. No, no. Many people do. This is not just a uh, one mother, one gold star mother. You you, you could. Read uh, blogs across uh, the internet that that deal with the same thing,
5: well, David. If I may, of where Mike Pence dropped the ball. Uh- kane started out by saying well hillary was with the children's defense fund if mike pence had done the proper preparation he could have pointed out that a woman named kathy shelton who is now in her mid fifties was a child rape victim I- uh, incidentally in this case not a bill clinton but some scumbag in arkansas hillary clinton as a defense attorney was able to win an acquittal for this man, and you know that one of the tactics Hillary Clinton used was she accused the victim, Kathy Shelton, as a child of having a track record of going after older men. Mike Pence should have pointed out that doesn't sound a lot like defensive children to me. Does it to you?
2: You know, you know, Here's my here's my take on this, Tom. I, I think that Mike Pence is in a in a spot where because you have. This anomaly of, of Donald Trump, you have to come across as this elder statesman. You have to be this calm, re- because we have so many lunatics that are never Trump conservatives. So many people that have said, there's no way I'm ever going to cross this line and vote for Donald Trump. Mike Pence isn't just appealing to undecided people in Rust Belt areas that were abused by NAFTA. He's also talking to Cruz people that just won't give up the, the ghost. And, and he's trying to say, listen, I'm, I'm not going to be quick to anger. I'm going to be slow and methodical and shake my head and look like a boring grandpa. Uh, because at the end of the day, Donald Trump is a, is a firecracker. You can't out-firecracker Donald Trump.
5: There is a difference between being the adult in the room and having less energy than some of the people I've seen laid out at Amagon.
2: Wow, that was that was well done.
5: Yes, David, <laughs> Tom you.
2: Bowerly just made a Amazon reference. Well done.
5: Let me give you David one <laughs> example of uh, where. Uh, where I thought uh, Mike Pence really dropped the ball and could have hit a home run, but he didn't, and he wouldn't have seemed like a freaking screaming lunatic had he done it. That idiot moderator, who again should have stayed in engineering school where she started out, and she still should be covering stories about cats stuck in trees, which was one of her early assignments as a reporter. Uh, She brought up the idea of homegrown terrorism vis-a-vis the recent terror attacks in Washington State, where five people were murdered at a Macy's in Washington State, the stabbing spree in Minnesota, and the bombs in New York City and in New Jersey. The idea that these were homegrown attacks is absolutely ludicrous. The suspect in the Washington State mass shootings was born in freaking Turkey. The stabber in, in Minnesota was born in Somalia. And the bomber in New York, so accused, but not convicted, of course, because we have a legal system and due process in this country, he was born in freaking Afghanistan. Afghanistan. So Michael Pence should have said if Donald Pence had been in charge of immigration when these douchebags were allowed into the United States, we'd have live and uninjured Americans today, wouldn't we?
2: It's a really hard defense. To say that the world is safer under uh, under Clinton and Obama's administration, I don't understand. You know, the argument that that Kane was making is that we're in a safer world. That to me was a was a was a hard one to swallow. But Tom Bowerly, who joins us, his program's three to seven every single day. You can listen to him. Also, you can download all of his programs. You don't have to listen live. You can download his programs. You can do little word searches for things like. Uh, these uh, SAT words that he uses all the time that no one, no one knows but him. Uh, anyway, I want to I play for you only for Tom Bowerly. This is an interaction that Hillary Clinton had with a 15-year-old girl. And this, to me, is exactly what you talk about when you talk about Hillary Clinton's answers and how vapid and vacuous she is. Here is a, of course, set-up question by a 15-year-old girl asking Hillary Clinton today, a question about Donald Trump and his treatment of women and listen to Hillary Clinton's response. This one is made perfectly, setting up Tom Bowerly with a slow-moving curveball. Here we go. Hi, Madam Secretary. I'm Brennan, and I'm 15 years old. At my school, body image is a really big issue for girls my age. I see with my own eyes the damage Donald Trump does when he talks about women and how they look. As the first female president, How would you undo some of that damage and help girls understand that they
4: are so much more than just what they look like? Oh, thank you. We need to laugh at it. We need to refute it. We need to ignore it. And we need to stand
2: up to it. (laughs) What? What was that? We need to laugh at it, refute it, ignore it, and stand up to it. That's pretty much what her stance on terrorism is as well. Well,
5: yeah, I mean, I trust Hillary Clinton with terrorism like I trust Tom Brady with balls. (laughs) Here
2: we go. There we go. It is that that's all it took to wind up Top Hourly. But the 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 idea that she contradicted herself with her own answer. I'm gri-
5: if, shot a fireball. I just I'm sorry. The I'm sorry. The dry spell is over. <laughs>
2: the dry spell ends. We only had him for for 10 minutes and and now he's he's back on uh on the fireball did you say?
5: Uh, well, yeah, there might be some of my favorite apple brandy, but I oughtn't to give the name because it's rather suggestive.
2: (laughs) All right. Well, I think there's a picture on your Facebook page of all the, uh,
5: it really is. And I encourage people to go to it and check it out. There's also something, a beautiful coconut rum known as big black, and I'm not going to give the rest of the title.
2: All right. I hear you. Tom Bowerly. I'm David Bellavia. We're, uh, we're talking about the vice presidential debate. Uh, how many people, I mean, if you were just going to give a uh, you know, looking at, at uh, Twitter and Facebook, are we looking at, uh, I mean, if we got 10 million people to watch this thing, uh, I, the last debate obviously was like the Super Bowl for the presidential debates. Uh, there wasn't really any moments here that you could really take away that, that I don't think converted, converted per people one way or another. But as far as looking at this vice presidential debate, I mean... The damage was done? you think that Mike Pence is the winner, but sort of by default? But if anything... No. no you don't think he's a winner?
5: I don't. I, I, I'm afraid that to the average Mr. and Mrs. American watching this, and as we all know, there has been an assault on the ability of the American people to critically think, Okay. To the average American who is consumed with working two jobs, maybe or maybe not having time to spend with their kids, this constant repetition, like a mantra of Donald Trump's taxes, Donald Trump does not pay his taxes, I'm afraid that that is going to have a continuing impact on Donald Trump's poll numbers, because for whatever reason, trying to communicate to people that tax avoidance is not tax evasion. Very true. Trump has never been accused of breaking any laws whatsoever vis-a-vis taxes this campaign is going to be lost on an awful lot of people. And you know, speaking of a similar, you know, financial issue, Mike Pence had an opportunity that he missed again, because Cain was talking about the Clinton Foundation and the magnificent work it does, and how Hillary Clinton was never accused of any wrongdoing or any uh, improprieties uh, while Secretary of State. Well I beg to differ, and my regular listeners know what I'm going to talk about, and they Look up a New York Times story on this. The New York Times, by the way, hardly part of Mrs. Clinton's imaginary vast right wing conspiracy. Hillary Clinton, while Secretary of State of this country, lobbied for UBS financial services. Why, you might ask? Because our Internal Revenue Service sent UBS a letter saying, hey, we want the names of some of your account holders because we think they might be skipping out on some taxes. Hillary Clinton, while Secretary of State, met with with UBS financial service executives. Capiche? Then, all right, after that, the IRS mysteriously ended up with only 10% of the names it had requested from UBS, and subsequent to that, Hillary Clinton and her foundation received massive donations from UBS Financial. Now. I realize the Obama Justice Department is extremely crooked, that Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch are crooked, and frankly, I've got grave concerns about James Comey and his competency, but any reasonable person would say that if a Secretary of State lobbies for a business while Secretary of State... Uh, 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 against the IRS letter and in favor of the business, and then that business becomes major donors to the Clinton Foundation, that at the very least that has the appearance of impropriety. And frankly, the difference between what Hillary Clinton did uh, uh, qualitatively and what Albert Fall did in the Teapot Dome scandal is nil. Fall went to prison. Hillary Clinton doesn't even get questioned about it, and sadly Mike Pence didn't even bring it up.
2: You just heard Tom Bowerly with a teapot dome reference, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to do this all night.
5: reference, but those went out 10 years ago.
2: (laughs) All night. I wish I had someone that had a point of view that I could work across from. You know what I mean? It's just so boring. It's like Tim Kaine with less interruptions. What? (laughs) <laughs> Here's the deal We're going to take a break We're going to get back We're going to take some phone calls uh, 803-0930, star 930 We're going to talk Tom Bowerly brought up something that is, is, is important And we have to kind of stamp it and underline it Tax evasion And uh, uh, essentially you know, circumventing the law And also following the law And trying to get your I mean, the, the whole system H&R Block is set up for what purpose? They brag about how many billions of dollars they take out of the government's hands and put into your pockets. This is an entire industry that's set up on this. And yet Donald Trump has taken a a, a heat round. Uh, But the word tax evasion was used by Clinton and by Tim Kaine. uh, And and Tom uh, eloquently uh, kind of explained the difference. We'll get back to more of Tom Bowerly. I'm David Bellavia. We're going to take your calls after this. We're talking the vice presidential debate right here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Welcome back to Extended Coverage of the Vice Presidential Debate I'm David Bellavia 803-0930 is the number to call Star 930, 1-800-616-WBEN I'm joined on the phone by the host of the Tom Bowerly program From 3 to 7, his name is Tom Bowerly Tom, how are you?
5: Best day of my life, David And thank you for taking my call (laughs)
2: Longtime listener First uh, yeah. Uh, first of all, I, I appreciate you not telling me how your day was or how you're doing. I would have immediately hung up on you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> that is how we never going to live that down. <laughs> never, never. My favorite is the the person who's like, "I'm a 90 year old uh, listener to you, Tom. Uh, loved you my entire life. I I want to get to the get to the hang up right. Hangs up on the 90 year old woman." Because she asked, "How how is he, how is he doing? Uh, we're uh, talking about the debate. Now, you heard Tom Bowerly talk about the difference between evasion uh, and, and, you know, we're talking about a criminal act. When, when Willie Nelson didn't pay taxes for 10 years, he wasn't using uh, a loophole in the tax law. He refused to pay his taxes. When Wesley Snipes went to jail for three years, it was because of evasion. This is an illegal act. This is something that will you'll end up in the slammer for. Uh, what we have an entire industry that's built on using the, the advantages of, of, of deduct you know take your deductions. Your uh, whether it's a uh, you're you're taking uh, your business your office. Uh, some people uh, you know work on TV and they deduct their clothing and their haircuts. There are laws. That the tax code is thousands of pages. It's like a phone book. It's like the talking phone book and just as useful. And so we go to professionals to tell us, hey, Tom, guess what? I could probably save you 15 grand right here because you're, you're what do you know about taxes? You, you, you're too busy to, to study the law. Let me do this for you. I'm going to save you money. And you say, thank you very much, accountant. Thank you very much, H&R Block. And here's your $700 for giving me a $10,000 rebate. 48% of Americans don't even pay a dime to the federal government. And now we're finding out that Hillary Clinton used the same loophole that, that uh, Donald Trump used. But trying to equate, now just, just check out this
5: for a minute, trying to equate Donald Trump legally using tax avoidance not al Capone like tax evasion with somehow being responsible for the 911 attacks was one of the most execrable acts i have ever seen in any uh, vice presidential debate ever. And I use that word, execrable, because that is the word, you mentioned earlier the Civil War, that is the word Jefferson Davis used. He was the president of the Confederacy to describe Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation, which, by the way, didn't free the slaves in territory held by the North, only uh, by the South. So that's b- a bit of an overblown document. But the bottom line is, in terms of 9 11, Mike Pence could have and should have talked about the nine. 11 commission report, which said a failure of imagination in the years prior to 9-11. I'm sorry, David, who was president when the World Trade Center was attacked in 1993? Who was president during the USS Cole? Who was president during the embassy bombings in Kenya and Tanzania? And the 9-11 Commission also said that there was a wall between government agencies, specifically FBI and CIA, which precluded CIA from sharing its intel with FBI, and vice versa. Mike Pence should have talked about that.
2: There you hear it. Uh, Tom Bowerly is just eviscerating Mike Mike Pence's performance, saying it wasn't aggressive enough. I disagree. I think that he played the role that he he was set up to play. Uh, But at the same time, this to me, this reminds me of any liberal debate, any debate you have, whether it's at the Thanksgiving table or it's at the water cooler, And you start nailing points of view, and I'm sure you get this all the time. You host a talk show from 3 to 7 every single day. I'm positive that in your civilian life, when you're not on a microphone, you have these conversations with people that are on the left. And when you hit them and you box them in a corner, what happens? They get loud, they get obnoxious, and they interrupt you. And that's what Tim Kaine fell to by default to me There were two points to this debate that were, I think, the the finest moments of Mike Pence. And that's when he's talking about the default setting that liberals, that Hillary Clinton, that Tim Kaine have when it comes to officer-related shootings. The default is automatically that we have a racist situation, that these cop-induced shootings are, are by default, these are criminal acts because white people are racist. And he mentioned there was a black cop that shot this guy in Charlotte. Uh, and what is hillary's statement on it? I thought that was uh I thought that was a a, a clean hit and a very uh, a hit that scored points and david
5: it's so interesting you mention that because I happen to be watching the debate with a young uh, a lovely young lady, and right before. Uh, Mr. Pence made that comment. I yelled, and I, I did use a couple of expletives. I know that might surprise you somewhat, knowing me in real life. But I said, would you please mention it was a black cop? Now, this what? Now, we're talking about the Charlotte situation. Now, this was another example where that pathetic excuse for a moderator could have and should have followed up with Kane saying hey, how do you respond to the idea that it was a black officer who felt the need to use deadly physical force against a black suspect how can you possibly uh talk about this institutional racism i mean are we to believe that a black man or a black woman once that person puts on a uniform suddenly gets trapped into this box of institutional racism i'm sorry i, I know a few black cops and the color is blue blue lives matter
2: well you know what i mean I, I thought that was a an important a pivotal moment in the debate the other thing that i thought was uh That was pretty telling is that, you know, Tim Kaine is a pro-life Catholic. Oh. And it speaks volumes when someone takes, especially, you know, we've heard so much about, by the way, I, I don't know what if it's in the book of James or the book of Luke, where, um, where the Bible uh, scripture tells us that we want to uh, live with joy and enthusiasm within the confines of our religion. That's the Clinton uh, theology evidently that we're being, but, but Tim Kaine is a very outspoken pro-life um, uh, in a, in a state that uh, he's a Democrat and he, you know he's uh, appeals to not only the Fairfax Virginians which is deep blue but also uh, to people in the south in the in the red areas of, of Virginia and this is something he will not ever back down on is his pro-life abortion stance and today he basically said, hey Roe v Wade establish law this is what we believe this is what we do and Mike Pence called him out on it and said hey, Where are your principles? I mean, you're running on a candidate. If you can't stand up to what your core beliefs are, what kind of a man are you? That was the subtext of Mike Pence's attack.
5: I have to agree with you. Those two moments you just pointed out, uh, law enforcement and the uh, human rights issue of a fetus were two points that Pence scored. Uh, the one rhetorical point that Pence, again, I, I don't mean to be coming down on Pence, but remember, my premise after the first debate was that's why you have a vice presidential candidate to kind of be the attack dog. That's how these things are supposed to work. Mike Pence should have brought out the fact that Hillary Clinton is a pro-abortion extremist. She supports late term abortion. We're not talking about two seconds after the moment of conception or two weeks after the moment of conception. We're talking about a viable human being in utero. And Hillary Clinton believes that that human being does not have constitutional rights. And I might add that over 50 percent of the aborted human beings are females. So Hillary Clinton supports women's rights once they make it out of the womb, apparently. The woman is a flaming hypocrite, and so is Tim Kaine.
2: Tim Kaine also uh, attacked uh, uh, Trump and Pence, uh, and, and referred to the Constitution in that it was un- it's, it's unconstitutional to disqualify someone coming to the country because of the uh, the country of origin that they uh, that they're coming from. And I'm just trying to to look through my pocket Constitution here and say what inherent right you have to come to the United States. I don't I don't see that in any amendment.
5: Well, first of all, there is federal law. It's part of the United States code. The president of the United States does have the legal authority to determine who may and may not enter the United States. People who are online or near a computer can look that up themselves. That is U.S. code. Now, if you want to talk about our foundational law, the Constitution, before even the Bill of Rights, in the very first part of our Constitution, that document was enacted to do what? To form a more perfect union. So in what bizarre world, in what twilight zone, in what surreal, uh, bizarre place does allowing people in who may be ISIS embeds, how does that make the United States a more perfect
2: union? You also notice the difference, the the stubborn difference between
5: eventually is going to lead to a balkanization of the United States of America. And if you loved what happened to the Austro-Hungarian Empire, you're going to love America in 20 years.
2: Did you also notice the, the stubborn difference between the left and the right when it comes to just the name of ISIS, the the uh, uh, ISIL, of course, talking about the uh, you were talking about the Levant, which is extremely disrespectful not only to Turkey but to uh, to Israel, uh, when you talk about you know this is this is the, the original Levant is of course the Ottoman Empire, um, and and giving them the credibility of saying that they're trying to reestablish the Levant, and of course ISIS being Iraq, uh, you know uh, in uh, Syria in in Iraq, uh, the, the difference in the names just giving credit. I mean we talk about an administration that doesn't want to use the word uh, Islamic extremist, but they have no problem calling them. You know, ISIL, which is, of course, what they call themselves. Uh, just, I found that uh, to be quite alarming. The other thing that I wanted to bring to your attention uh, was the way that uh, he's referring to Hillary Clinton as uh, taking nuclear arms away from Iran with this deal, as if we're not even in month two of this thing. How the hell are we predicting the future? And the idea that, that Israel is in support of the iran nuclear deal is just outrageous
5: you must have read my mind tim kane a couple of times said well it's right on the tape Uh, why don't you go to the tape on that one well guess what tim kane i did go to the tape and contrary to supporting the iranian deal you know what the Israelis said the israelis likened our deal with iran to the nineteen thirty-eight pact in munich uh, in munich germany okay in which neville chamberlain Through the mediative exploits of that great humanitarian, Benito Mussolini, came back from a meeting with Hitler and Goering with the Munich agreement. Basically, it was called appeasement. And and Chamberlain, the prime minister of England, came back and said, I believe it is peace in our time. And we all know what happened on September 1st, 1939. The Nazis broke their word, imagine that, and invaded Poland and the world found itself in the Second World War. And some of our listeners right now were alive and in Poland when those Nazi bastards rolled the panzers into their country. And the, Isra- uh, the people in Israel, the statement from the Israeli government likened our deal with Iran to the Munich Agreement in 1938, which emboldened Adolf Hitler.
2: You know, uh, we just got a text message in at 30930. Hillary Rodden Clinton is for real late abortions. Just ask uh, Seth Rich and Vince Foster. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny.
5: Yeah, uh, Seth Rich, by the way, for those who don't know, Seth Rich uh, was in charge of computer voting for the Democrat National Committee. And Julian Assange with WikiLeaks mysteriously has offered a twenty thousand dollar reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of Seth Rich's killers, who, by the way, they didn't take his cell phone, they didn't take his watch, they didn't take his wallet or his credit cards. Sounds to me an awful lot like a hit. Sounds to me like Seth Rich probably was the leaker to WikiLeaks, and I should probably point out that a couple of days before Seth Rich was whacked and clipped on the streets of Washington in Baltimore a woman by the name of uh, Molly McCauley well she was clipped uh, actually she was stabbed to death while walking her dogs in an otherwise crime-free park the first murder in the neighborhood that anybody can remember she happened to be an expert in satellite technology and Donald Trump has said all along that he has great fears that this election can be rigged. And if anybody has learned anything over the course of the past several months, it is that anything and everything electronic that is hooked up online can be hacked. So isn't it interesting that a woman who knew that voting can be influenced from satellites in space because you can use the satellites to remotely access electronic uh, voting machines...
2: The the, the argument is that... we all think of election fraud as happening at the source of where you're voting, and what this argument is is that when you send the votes to a source to be collected, that's when the interruption happens, and that's when the uh, the false results are are sent in. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and to also add to your point, that woman had two 110 pound German shepherds that she walked every day in this park, and those dogs were returned to her home and tied up to the door.
5: Well, unfortunately for Molly McCauley, made basically a basically a big mistake for somebody in her position. Number one, she knew too much. Number two, she had the uh, stupidity to talk with John Ash from the United Nations about her concern about elections being stolen. And number three, she followed a regular pattern and was apparently oblivious to the mini-Civil War that is raging in the United States, with which most Americans, I'm afraid, are simply unaware of. Uh, There are patriots in this country, and there are people who want to sell us down the river. John
2: John Ash, though, was the guy who was killed from uh, doing the bench press, right?
5: Well, uh, was it? Uh, yes. I mean, you look at this guy <laughs> had muscles in his feces. Okay, this guy was a, a big burly dude. Uh, I, uh, they were divided between was it cardiac arrest? Was it a weightlifting accident? Basically, uh, again, it's an, and we should also point out that Mr. Ash from the United Nations, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but the texter did bring up Seth Rich, Mr. Ash was going to be involved in a criminal trial involving a Chinese businessman who, by the way, is reportedly connected to China's intelligence agency. Oh, and by the way, this Chinese businessman, what do you know? He's also a good friend of the Clintons and a contributor to the Clinton Foundation. But you see, all of these things are simply the product of a vast right-wing conspiracy tinfoil hat wear in mind.
2: I just wind him up, folks. That's all I do. I, I, just, I just, I throw the ball up, and he just swings, and I don't know where the ball goes. It, sometimes it leaves the park. Sometimes it's a foul, but it's always in the air, and it's always 400 feet. That's Tom Bowerly. The thing uh, about the Seth Rich thing, just to, to add more to the intrigue of his death, it, what was interesting about the Seth Rich murder is that it was in a very quiet area of Georgetown, And the murder was nobody heard the gunshots. Nobody heard what happened. But the argument is that it was a botched robbery, which would make you imply that someone interrupted the robbery, which is why you didn't take a wallet or a phone. But if no one heard it and there were no witnesses, what would be the argument that it was a botched robbery? Um, you killed the guy, you you take his stuff and you leave. But neither here nor there. Uh, Let's go to the phones. People want to talk to you. Uh, Tom Bowerly, I'm David Bellavia. Let's go to uh, Dan, our friend Dan Tonawanda. Dan, you're on WBN. Hey, what's
6: up, Dave, Tom? Uh, I just wanted to say I got a little different view here. I think Mike Pence did exactly what he wanted. From day one, I said he was part of the establishment. I feel that he didn't uh, do any... Trump didn't uh, defend him and the reason why is because he set himself up for 2020. I think he did exactly what he wanted tonight. He's an inside guy. He's an establishment guy. Just like I said, the day I called the day that they picked him. I called WBN, said he was an establishment guy, and I think he did exactly what he wanted to do, set himself up for 2020. He was more for himself there tonight than he was for uh, Trump. The guy is a radio guy. He could have uh, uh, hit a home run today, but he chose choose to stay neutral and uh, not defend Donald Trump on some of his uh, past uh, statements. And that's what I feel that he was up to. I feel he was up to his own career and I believe uh, he was picked by the establishment. It was a deal from Donald Trump and uh, in the establishment to try to, to um, get them to, to support Trump. And they, that's why Mike Pence was picked, and I wasn't happy from day one. Alan West, a fighter like Alan West, should have been picked. He made a huge mistake by picking Mike Pence in my eyes.
5: Uh, That is a very interesting theory. I don't particularly agree with it, but Dan, um, I certainly respect your opinion, and frankly, you've been spot on in a lot of instances where I have not been, so I must take that into consideration.
2: Well, I, for one, don't respect Dan or his opinion, and I can tell you, no, I'm only kidding. (laughs) No, Dan, I love Dan from Donawada. Here's my thing, though. Mike Pence was a necessary selection because of the fact that we lost total control of the party. And when you lose control of the party, you have to bring someone back that's a grassroots conservative. And Mike Pence, for whatever reason, I want to just bring up one thing that that didn't get a lot of play today that I really thought was going to get play, Uh, and that's the way that Mike Pence handled – the uh, religious uh, equality law that he passed that was looked at as a hate crime against homosexuals. Right. Now compare that to what happened in North Carolina, where it became an argument about bathrooms and about transgendered high school students, and uh, the president of the United States got involved, and and uh, you know North Carolina punted on second down rather than actually fight what the what the actual law was intended to be Mike Pence didn't do that he had businesses he had a ton of pressure he had the NCAA say they're going to take away the final four he had uh, the NFL tell them they're going to take away the the uh, college combine if they uh, pass this law and Mike Pence stood his ground re-articulated what the intent was supposed to be that no one should be judged if they have a religious uh, issue with with something that's happening uh, with a gay marriage Uh, and, and I thought he handled that Perfectly. And, and I think that was another reason why they really can't come at Mike Pence because he's a principled guy. He stands behind what he believes. And um, in a time when, when this was a, a civil war between the, the Cruz guys and the Mitt Romney and George W. Jeb Bush uh, surrogates, Mike Pence was a bedrock conservative that no one could shake.
6: Well, I agree with that. That's why I feel Tom was right. There's so many times he could have defended Trump, but he chose not to. He stayed neutral, and he just kept his mouth shut. And I think the reason for that, like I said, he's, he's looking for a running in 2020, and he set himself up perfectly. I've already heard on TV saying uh, that Republicans wish that he was the candidate versus Trump. And that, I'm telling you now that if Trump doesn't make it, if he doesn't win against Hillary, then you're going to see him as the candidate for the next election.
5: Oh, my goodness. Well, okay, again, Dan, at risk, at the risk of patronizing you, this is another point that Mike Pence should have and could have made, and I'm disappointed in his performance. Why is it the federal government uh, under Barack Obama and previously under George W. Bush, why do they never talk about taking federal funding away from cities that offer sanctuary to people who are invading our country, and yet the minute we have the less than one percent of the population of the country that is transgender front and center in the news the federal government wakes up nobody dies if a transgendered person is forced to whiz in the bathroom of the gender into which he or she was born people die because our country is being invaded the federal government stands up erect and takes notice when it comes to transgenders but when it comes to illegal invaders they are closed with blindfolds.
6: Yeah, and did you hear Kane? He started talking about how uh, Putin is—he uh, uh, takes to the gays and, and puts them in jail or what have you. Well, what about Saudi Arabia and all the Middle East countries that, that they so much love to talk about?
2: And she takes money from those countries.
6: Exactly. And it, it just, they're such hypocrites. It's, it's sickening when you listen to them
2: talk. I mean, it drives me crazy. And when, when 9-11 families wanted to sue uh, the Saudi Arabian Kingdom, the, the, the government uh, there in Saudi, it was President Obama that stood up against 99 senators and said, no, I'm, I'm going to veto this law. Uh, and, of course, it was overridden the next day. But uh, they, there is definitely a—and a, uh, it was the administration that wanted to hide those, those uh, what was it, 27 pages in the, in the uh, 9-11 report.
5: Well, and David, something else too. Uh, Kane repeatedly was allowed to attack Pence without any foundation for his attack. The moderator allowed him to do it. The moderator was clearly unprepared. Frankly, I wouldn't hire that moderator to do late nights at a 1,000 watt daytime radio station. There's an inside joke there. Late nights at a 1,000 watt daytime station. That's how pitiful <laughs> poor woman was. And I, I, I've got to uh, ask you that uh time and time again uh Mike Pence did bring up the fact that under Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama's watch we have lost significant portions of territory that people like you David Bellavia helped win. And you don't make a big deal about this, but people need to know, folks, the guy you're listening to right now behind that microphone is a genuine American war hero. He is one of the top 100 most beloved veterans in all of American history. And he was one of those boots on the ground in Fallujah. David, let me ask you, on behalf of those people listening and all of those people who have their son or family member or friend's name engraved on the monument down by our front. What, what do you think of ISIS and the gains it made on territory you bled for?
2: It's, a, it's, it's one of the most difficult things I think any I've, I've had to no experience as an adult. J.C. Madison, who's uh, I served with, who's from Jamestown, uh, his fa- right outside of Celeron, New York, uh, he was killed in, in, in Fallujah, and I think about his father and his family, and it's, it's what, you know, you, you try to motivate kids to do things that they don't necessarily want to do in the face of your enemy and to to know that there is someone that's playing a, a parlor game, a political parlor game. You know, one of the things that you heard today in the uh, in the debate was, you know, when when Hillary Clinton uh, took over, when Obama came into office, uh, bin Laden was alive. Uh, the economy was horrible. Well, you know another thing that was, that w- there was no ISIS when Obama was was came into office. And, and whether or not the standard of forces agreement is one of the biggest bastardizations. I mean, for a, an outgoing president in George W. Bush does not sign an order with a foreign country knowing that he's leaving office. It's never been done before. You always leave it to the next administration. This administration had every opportunity, every single time the Iraqi government in 2004 when uh, Nouri al Maliki sat down with Bush they weren't going to give um they weren't going to allow uh, American troops they had all of the arguments that they had through every single sofa agreement that we had with the Iraqi government since the invasion and it took wrist bending and it said listen're we're, we're not we're not going to have our troops go to an Iraqi court if they make a mistake they're going to be immune there's going to be immunity here and Nuriel Maliki said at the end of the day I need your troops on the ground you can have what you want he would have given everything to Barack Obama the the the, the reality is he never met with Maliki the state department never and here's another thing these things are done uh these uh, sofa agreements are made Um, You know, through the executive branch It's made through the White House It's made through the State Department When the standard of force agreement Was finally negotiated by the Obama administration It was done with Department of Justice attorneys They have never negotiated a standard of force agreement In our history And you had Department of Justice attorneys sitting down with uh, the head of state in in Iraq. So there was never a will to have American troops on the ground in Iraq. That was his number one campaign promise, and it imploded in his face. And now we're hearing breaking news on the Drudge Report that the Department of Justice uh, just dropped charges for a gun runner uh, in Libya that was connected to Hillary Clinton. Um, We're seeing more and more splatter coming from... The decisions made by Hillary Clinton when she was in the State Department, and I I don't want to speak in hyperbole here, Dan or Tom, but I'm telling you, I look at this election, we we have 34 days to save the country. Because if you think that that we're not going to have the criminality that, that we had while she was secretary, what do you think is going to happen when this woman's president?
5: David, again, back to my initial premise that I'm very disappointed in Mike Pence and his lack of being an attack dog. How come a couple of schnooks in Buffalo, New York, on the radio, in the 57th largest market in the country, have just done a better job demolishing Tim Kaine's key-poor arguments than a guy who should have been prepped all day for this debate. He should have anticipated these things. He could have buried Tim Kaine, but instead he looked very ill-prepared, and he didn't have the -the go-for-the-jugular mentality. When will the Republicans ever wake up and realize politics is blood sport? And let me tell you something else, David, and let let me ask you something, actually, instead of telling you, because we're kind of co-hosting a show here, and, and that is this. Did you think at any point during the debate watching that pathetic excuse for a moderator and as somebody who is part Asian American they should have had me if they were looking for the first Asian American hey i'm right here i could have done a much better job than that buffoon uh, in a dress on television uh at any point did you think to yourself donald trump should not even bother doing the next two debates because every time there's a debate it's the other candidate and the moderator against the republican
2: you know, I, I mean, there's times I think that, but I, I mean honestly, I think you, lo- you, you you wrap up the election if he doesn't show I mean it, it's it, yes, it's the nuclear option that you would use for leverage to say, I, I, you know Donald Trump was talking about no moderators you know while Hillary Clinton was was hooking up an oxygen feeder to her podium and asking for you know cough breaks and, and lozenges to be dropped from the uh, from the boom mics, uh, Donald Trump was saying, hey, we don't need a." A moderator. I don't understand what the point of a moderator is in modern debates right now. When you have questions from Twitter, you have questions from YouTube.
5: That's you- awesome, and to make the Republican look like an idiot. I mean, Absolutely, Mike Pence wouldn't even defend. For example, Tim Kaine started talking about Mike Pence and you know his chumminess with Vladimir Putin. And what Mike Pence said about Vladimir Putin is the same thing I've said. That Vladimir Putin for Russia is a stronger leader, not a better leader not a more moral leader but a stronger leader for russia than barack obama is for the united states and i wholeheartedly agree with that you know why because vladimir putin kgb is scum he is murdering bastard he is he is a russian nationalist and he is unapologetic about being a russian nationalist our president is a globalist mike pence allowed himself to be misquoted, and he did not, and this will kind of echo what Dan there just said, but what Donald Trump said in terms of nuclear proliferation, that South Korea, Japan, and Saudi Arabia, yeah, you know what, maybe they should have nuclear weapons. And for those who don't know, and this is what I'm afraid of, David, people who don't pay attention to this stuff, South Korea lives right next to North Korea. What has North Korea been doing lately? Japan is right by China. China has never forgiven Japan for the invasion of Manchuria and the rape of Nanking. I mean, we're talking about two countries who are next door to some very formidable and nuclear powers.
2: Well, Also, with the fact that Saudi Arabia financed Pakistan's nuclear program. I mean, if they wanted to get a nuke, they could reach out to the people that they financed to get the nuke. So it's, it's kind of a, a moot point when you talk about Saudi. But uh, these are all great points. Dan and Wanda, thank you for your call. Thank you for your point of view. i got to go to a break. We come back. More Tom Bowerly. I'm David Bellavia. We're going to get back to our phone calls. we got Troy on the line and Frank. We're going to get to you guys. 803-0930, star 930. Tom Bowerly is going to stay with us. Uh, we're going to keep him up. News Radio, 930 WBN. Welcome back to the uh, extended coverage post-debate. I'm David Bellavia, joined by Tommy B of the CIA, Tom Bowerly. Tom Bowerly, how are you?
5: You're going to give me a good reputation or a bad reputation to pick (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> whatever happens happens hey let's go to the phones and talk to you. troy this is troy stewart of stew and the nun this is the one of the top rated military blogs um they do a podcast a national podcast and he's like a 25 year vet first sergeant uh, been deployed a million times troy stewart this is tom bowerly how you doing troy
7: pretty good how's it going dave good to talk to you again my friend
2: all right well you're on with tom bowerly as well troy what was your take on uh on on this debate here you
7: know, I, it was uh, – at first I thought the, the moderator had control in like the first five minutes because she seemed to keep both in check. And then it kind of went to hell to haywire. And, uh, and you know, Kane, um you know, I thought uh, – your last caller talked about Pence and how – I think Pence acted right on point. I think uh, the American people were – are very concerned about Trump and his um, – And his, you know, his kind of fly-off-the-handle-off-the-cuff personality, I think uh, Pence balanced that out. And I think that's what he was going for. He maintained composure. He stared at the screen. He answered. He even tried to answer some of the challenges by Kane that kept throwing up uh, left and right. And, and in fact, I'm really curious to go back and count how many times he said releases taxes because I think that probably hit triple digits. Um, And I think he made Kane come across like a hothead. And a little bit of a of a loose, crybaby, whiny kind of guy. Um,
2: yeah, I mean that, that Tom. I mean, I I don't I don't know what your take of Tim Kaine was before the debate. Um, you really have to be a political wonk to have an opinion of of Tim Kaine, which I think is part of the attraction of a Tim Kaine vice presidential candidacy is that he kind of is boring and he's kind of a he's like a, the Brian Higgins of the Senate, uh, and I mean that with total disrespect. But um, you know, when you the takeaway from here is that you know, the, the the common saying is, who do you want to have a beer with? I'll tell you the guy who I want to crack a beer bottle over the head with, and that's, I want to hit Tim Kaine with it. I mean, I, I thought he was extremely obnoxious, Tom.
5: Well, look, I mean, I've been called extremely obnoxious from time to time. Uh, Tim Kaine, to me, he looked smarmy. He looked snarky. And he was kind of like a very animated Ted Cruz. That's the kind of vibe I got from him. But... That leads to my thesis, which is that is precisely why Mike Pence had so many opportunities to just Floor Tim Kaine with facts and appear not only as the grandfatherly elder statesman type, but also appear as a man who had done his research and as a man who had gravitas and as a man who could score debate points. Because I would ask each of you do you think that Mike Pence won any votes away from Hillary Clinton tonight? And do you believe any undecideds are now in the Trump camp? Because my thesis is that. Tim Kaine's constant refrain of tax return, tax return, tax return—that is going to resonate with the undecided voters, who I happen to believe are mostly morons anyway. Because if you don't know by now for whom you're going to be voting, I don't think you should even be allowed to vote.
2: Troy, what do you think about that?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think I think he may have swayed some. I, I think so much of this country has become—it's become a choice of who they hate less. It's not even the least of the worst. It's <laughs> hate less. That I mean I think he came across with that with that with that uh, persona that said you know I'm even keel and I'm gonna talk to you and I'm not gonna talk down to you I mean even looking at Kane's reactions when he was when they split screened him and he's looking at Pence he even did the old typical uh, Barry Obama. Tilt his head back and look down his nose, kind of thing. <clears throat> he did that right at Pence. And I was amazed, I'm like, wow, well, hey, that must be like in the Democratic playbook right after the chapter on ask about his tax returns. You know, it, it uh, and I also got to, I want you to think about this, Tom. It's something I've thought about. There were many chances in the first presidential debate that that, uh, that Trump should, I thought, was going to jump. I just knew when it got into cybersecurity, as many others, that he would jump on the email server and all that stuff, and he held back. I'm starting to think. That Trump is holding that off because the first debate was big, but I think the second and third debate hold the real, the real, pro, the real promise because we remember Romney won the first debate hands down against Obama, but it didn't do anything for him. I think Trump may have had Cain, may, may have had Pence hold back some. Maybe he's holding on. He's ready for the anchor, and he's going to come out swinging on the last debate or, or even the next one when it's closer, and, and he needs to swing those last bit of people over. Maybe that's why Pence didn't come out strong. I don't know. Well,
5: this was the only vice presidential debate. And by the way, I happen to agree with, uh, I believe Donald Trump did hold back on the first debate. And I talked about the fighters who peak too soon, and they basically burn out in the first round, and then they get KO'd in the second round. So I I was happy with Donald Trump's performance, because I think a lot of people expected him to come out like a flailing maniac. But I also threw in the caveat that your surrogates have to be your attack dogs. And I thought Mike Pence had the opportunity to in a non-obnoxious way simply with facts destroy the specious arguments and the outright lies of tim Kaine. who uh, i agree with you guys i mean he he looked like not quite right
2: see but that, that's why you pick uh, chris christie as your vice president i, I think that the, the the pence pick was specifically about stay the course steady as she goes uh, you know get get your, your nice uncle there from the Korean War to sit down and, and shake his head, like, I can't believe you just said that. Uh, but I, honestly, we can't underestimate the, how badly Tim Kaine appeared physically on television. I mean, there are middle Americans that are going to watch this in flyover country. They're going to say, That's a creepy looking dude who smiles like the Grinch. And I don't want to vote for anyone that looks like that. That's how, I mean, let's be honest. We're a shallow society, and and people, uh, they get upset when you, you sweat on your brow. They got weirded out by Dukakis wearing a tanker helmet. Uh, th- I think they're going to get weirded out by, by Tim Kaine and, and those Scorsese eyebrows.
5: But, you know, the, the ultimate issue here, gentlemen, is, let's face it, before this debate even took place tonight, the headlines are already written. They were already written for tomorrow. Tim Kaine clobbers Mike Pence. And, again, my concern is the American people, and this long inculcated lack of critical thinking ability. And the two words that most people are going to remember, and this, of course, was by design from Tim Kaine, tax returns, tax returns, tax returns. And frankly, if I'm advising Donald Trump, I advise Donald Trump to release the tax returns.
2: Well, at this point, I mean, first of all, let's let's just break this whole thing down. The idea, the IRS is already under this, you know, we've got a a commissioner of the IRS that's in contempt of Congress. We have the lowest learner situation that never, um, you know was was never addressed or adjudicated properly. We have someone that, that pleads the fifth but gives an opening statement, which opens her up for questioning, but then she pleads the fifth, and now, you know, we don't hear again from her. She's not charged with anything. And now we have this illegal release of someone's tax returns to the to the New York Times. You know, the editor of the New York Times says, I don't care if I go to jail. I'm going to release these tax returns, even if it's breaking the law. I mean, this is—we've now we're breaking into people's private lives, whether it's Hillary's emails or Donald Trump's tax returns. This is a new chapter in American politics, and I don't think we recover from this.
7: Well, to to, to actually, let me let me jump on that for a second, Dave. Uh, Hillary's emails were government property that were stored on her own private server, which makes them public property, and they weren't government protected. I mean, she put them out there to be hacked. His tax returns are filed as tax returns, and they should have stayed private. Uh, but one thing on the tax returns, it, there was a one-two punch between um, you know, the tax returns. They, 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 Everyone's jumped all over this since this came out a couple of days ago. And the, there's nothing in the tax returns from 20 years ago that says he hasn't paid taxes. Now, he's alluded to, but that's been Donald Trump this whole time. He never comes out and admits or denies because the buzz is what keeps the media going. He may have paid taxes in the last 15 years, but if he didn't, it is not his fault. That is the U.S. tax code. And he took advantage. Of it. The guy lost almost a billion dollars.
2: I think it's the way he's un- unpacked this entire thing. I got to say goodbye to Tom Bowerly. We had a prearranged agreement made by moderators and attorneys that he would be out of here by 1145. <laughs> uh, and so I have to uh, uh, be- honor that. So, Tom Bowerly, thank you so very much
5: for 15 more. I'll be happy to hang out for 15 more. But, you know, I don't know if the people want that. I mean, they probably don't like listening to us together. I don't know. But unfortunately, I mean, there is case law on this, and it actually goes back at least as far as the Pentagon Papers, even if those documents were obtained illegally. Believe it or not, the New York Times has a First Amendment right to publish them.
2: That's un. Unre- uh, uh, to me. It's completely un-American that they could break into your home, steal something, and and publish it, and hide behind the First Amendment. I mean, it's uh, to me. It's it's not really ringing endorsement of of liberty. Uh, whether you're running for president or you're uh, a janitor, I think you should still have uh, some sort of privacy. We got to go to a break. We're going to come back to these two gentlemen here in a second. I uh, got to take a quick break. Tom, if you would blessed us, that's great. If not, I understand. We did have an agreement, so we're going to go to go to a quick break. We come back. More of the post vice presidential debate coverage. News Radio nine thirty WBN. Welcome back, uh, post debate coverage here. Blue Jays have just defeated the Orioles five to two. They move on. If you're a baseball fan, got a bunch of text messages at three zero nine three zero. One wrote, "Trump should have picked Alan West for VP." Another person wrote, "It's better to live a single day as a lion than a thousand years as a sheep." I would wish that Trump would fight more. another person wrote in if you have a fiery number one you better have a calm number two. Pence was given uh, Pence was great given the fact of being outnumbered and having less talk time Speaking of a man who's had many fiery number ones Tom Bowerly <laughs> see what I did there
5: God need tetracycline.
2: <laughs> I knew it what he said fiery number one and of course a man who's had many calm number twos Troy Stewart Troy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both they went there. we're co-hosting a show and you went there <laughs> i had to uh someone also wrote in and said bowerly Bellevue are great together you guys should do a show and that's something well we're doing it right now uh Trey stewart joins us from stew and the nun it's a podcast uh, military uh bent uh and they talk about everything and they're stew and the nun uh what is it uh, stew the nun.com. nun dot com none has two n's in it right
7: that's right. You got it. All
2: right. Okay. So it's, it's a Troy Stewart and a Tom Barley. So, Tom, uh, you know, before we left, we talked a little bit about uh, the fact that uh, there was a, there's a Drudge poll that just came out. Of course, Drudge is always right-leaning, so 95% picked. You know, Pence was the winner, 5%, 4% for uh, for, for Tim Kaine. Now, you look at this more of, uh, I mean, you, your your point of view is that, you know, Pence didn't hit him enough. Um, What is it that Donald Trump takes from this Into the next debate Uh, Obviously number one he was a little bit passive Did a little rope-a-dope What happens in number two Does this guy just come out You know like a WWE wrestler With firecrackers going up
5: uh, you, well, i tell you what, uh, I guess I'll go first, and then, Troy, I think with Donald Trump, first of all, I said after the previous debate, and again, this is why, you have to understand, if you're just joining us, I love Donald Trump, okay? I think Donald Trump has the great possibility of being a truly great American president. So anything that I'm saying that is critical of Mike Pence is based on the fact that I am absolutely rooting for Donald Trump, and any appearance by anybody that I believe does not advance the cause of Donald Trump is something that I'm going to not be happy with because I think electing Donald Trump is critical for the future of our constitutional republic. This is a pivotal election for this nation. This is as pivotal as the election of 1860 prior to the Civil War. Okay, so I'm always going to be harder on people for whom I am rooting. Like, I'm always more critical of the Buffalo Sabres than I'm going to be of the guys they're playing. So I think I need to establish that first. Donald Trump, as I said previously, he's a smart guy. One thing we've learned during the primaries, do not underestimate Donald Trump. But specifically what he takes from this debate is, I think, the need to release every financial disclosure statement that they will continue uh, to make an issue of on the other side of the aisle. He's got to make it clear to the American people that he did not cheat. He did not steal. He did not violate any federal tax code. And conversely, while he is clearing his name with the corroborative documents, he needs to substantively attack Hillary Clinton for her outright corruption as secretary of state. And I previously described the UBS uh, scandal, which people can look up in that bastion of conservatism, the New York Times, UBS financial, Hillary Clinton. It's all there in writing. She should have been impeached. She should be imprisoned right now for taking bribes. He has to turn the table on Hillary Clinton and do it with facts.
2: Troy, what did you take?
5: Yeah,
7: I I'm, I agree real long with it. And I think Donald Trump doesn't lose a billion dollars and rebuild back from that. And you don't build an $11 billion empire by um, flying off the handle and not doing stuff with a lot of forethought. He's fighting not only the, the Democratic Party and all that. He, We all know he is fighting every angle of the media um, and and, every, and Hollywood and everything. So he is he has got multiple fronts. He's, he's facing enemies on, on both sides and in front of him. And I think uh, he is waiting and saving for the second debate. I think second debate is going to be the knockout. And I think the third, third debate, he's going to he's gonna put the, the nails in the coffin. Um, I think he's approaching it this. Like you said, when he came down the escalator last year, everyone thought he was a joke. Everyone thought this was nothing. He went against 16 great uh, perceived great uh, Republican candidates. He knocked every one of them out. Um, and, and where the, the administration used to laugh at him and everyone thought he was a big joke, they're now taking him seriously. Uh, he's not done yet. I think he is. all of this is part of his calculation. I
2: just think it's so absurd that we refer to him when he came down the escalator, as if like, that's a, a common thing for people that run for president. He came down an escalator. In his first appearance, would he, would he, and now that was the actual, that was the press conference that Tim Kaine kept beating uh, Mike Pence over the head with is the statement about the uh, rapists and drug dealers uh, that, you know, obviously he's not playing the entire, but that is the, that's the race we're in. They're going to nitpick, they're going to find their little, uh, you know, moments, their Achilles heels to pounce uh, and, and Trump has got to be better. He's got to be smarter and he's got to be more aggressive. Would you agree, Tom?
5: But, well, see, as was just pointed out, Donald Trump is fighting a three-front war. He's fighting the Republican establishment, he's fighting the Clinton machine, and he's fighting the media. So he's actually fighting a three-front war. And here's what I find so problematical, guys, and what I find so frustrating because I love Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton is such a weak and vulnerable candidate her entire life is just one big lie. She is a great, big phony. And another example, guys, and I hate to dwell on the negative, but the whole comment about Mexicans and drug dealers and uh, illegals You know, if Mike Pence would take the time to do a little bit of research, he can find audio from my show of a travel chef from the Clinton White House first term, Tracy Martin. He lives right here in Buffalo, who said at an AIDS fundraiser... In front of the president of France's wife, Mrs. Jacques Chirac, Hillary Clinton, this great champion of African Americans, a black waiter displeased her. So he walked out of the room and Hillary Clinton said to Tracy Martin and to the president of France's wife, that Mm, uh, used the n-word. That is the real Hillary Clinton. It's documented not just by the guy who was on my show. And by the way, two days after he was on my show, his phone got hacked. I'm sure that's just one of those paranoid coincidences. They need to point out Hillary Clinton is a career criminal. She is a grafter, a bribe-taker, and she is one evil, nasty woman.
2: Tom, uh, Troy, we got to go to break. Uh, Tom, you want to wrap this up uh, going to break?
5: I just want to say what an honor it was to appear with both of you and on behalf of uh, all of us who did not wear the uniform, but who benefit from the sacrifices made and the people who died in your arms for our liberty and for the United States, David, it is a true honor to be on the radio with you and a true honor to speak with all of those who wore the uniform, because if it wasn't for what you guys did, I wouldn't do what I do, and you have my eternal gratitude for your sacrifices.
2: Very kind of you. Troy, thank you so much. Thank you for your service, Troy. And Tom, thank you for your kind words. We are coming back after this break. We're going to get to your calls, 803-0930. More of this post-debate coverage. One more hour uh, right after this. Welcome back to the big, big program. About Aleppo. About Aleppo. And what is Aleppo? What is Aleppo? You're
4: kidding. No. It's right. David Bellavilla on News Radio. 9. I ruined it.
2: W-E-N. I ruined the intro. I apologize. That's what I do. I ruin intros. Welcome back to the Big Big Shoe. We'll get this right when we go live. We'll do it live! <laughs> Hang on. Bill O'Reilly for you. eight zero three zero nine thirty. Some of you have been very patient. I'm going to get your calls. Star 930, one 616 wbn Our text number is 30930. We're going to read your text in a second. Let's go to a patient, Frank in Buffalo. Frank, you're on WBN.
0: Thank you, David. David, three quick things. Number one, if you don't know what a tax deduction is, that person is not going to be voting for Donald Trump, all right? Um, secondly, this whole thing with with with, with personal... Um, religious uh, uh, beliefs versus their public portrayal. For, for all the Kennedys and the and the and the, and the Cuomo's and, and and the rest of them out there, I would like to ask them this: If you were a governor of Mississippi in 1950, would you enforce the Jim Crow laws? Um, uh, because it seems to me that these guys are trying to play it both ways, and I'm, I'm getting tired. You know what?
2: Let me tell you something, Frank. Your first point is brilliant because you know 48 percent of the of the American public don't even pay taxes. If you don't know what deduction, you're probably going to scream outrage. But your point of what would you have done in 1952? Would you have would you have towed the party line? Yeah. Would you have uh, gone gone along to get along, or would you have enforced your principles? Excellent question for a debate moderator.
0: The other thing I would like to say is, uh, is, is this. if I was uh, Pence, I would ask I would ask him. You call uh, uh, you say that I, I, I called Social Security a Ponzi scheme. Okay, I want you to look into the camera, Mister Kane. Tell explain to the American citizens what a Ponzi scheme is. And explain to them why Social Security is not a Ponzi scheme.
2: You know what, Frank, to me, okay, so you're asking me this question. A Ponzi scheme is when you know you're not going to get any money out of it, but you're still uh, forced to put money into it. And that's exactly what Social Security is for a 25-year-old young man or woman in America.
0: Right. it's basically we need more people to put in money for the people who are in there now. Because if we don't get more people, we won't be able to afford the
2: people who are in there now. And the people that are putting the money in now have no opportunity for a return down the road.
0: Constant game of getting more people to pay off the ones that are already in it's
2: That is a Ponzi scheme. Yep. That is the definition of a Ponzi scheme.
0: Yeah, so why is, that, why is Social Security, as it is set up now, not a Ponzi scheme, Mr.
2: Kane? Right, and, and what makes you think that if we can't afford Social Security now... We're going to be able to do that without private, uh, you know, without the private sector coming in to bail us out.
0: You know what? I don't think if they would present these questions to these people in the ways that the common guys can understand, that that's that's their only hope. You say to a guy, so you tell me you're going to make the black people go to the back of the bus because that's what it says in in the town laws, right? This country was forged on people seeing that laws are unjust and going to the wall to break those injustices up down based on their own personal convictions. Isn't that what the country was founded upon?
2: You, you, but, but, Frank, how, how stupid have we become as, as a, as a uh, aggregate? I mean, it, when, when you talk about the people that are able to reason and the people that are able to take away, you know, main ideas of what, you know, the, these are the, the number one skills that are being eroded on a daily basis. I just read an article where a uh, state senator from uh, Connecticut was just hit on like 10 uh, voting fraud violations. I mean, this is a state senator in Connecticut that's voting ten times in different districts. I mean, and 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 she's going to get reelected. I mean, it, it it really shows that that maybe we have to hit the reset button and and just focus on eight and ten year olds and say, listen, we have to get back to you know people that are able to use circular logic and 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 start teaching kids. You know how to think instead of what to think.
0: Exactly. We, Tom mentioned it when he was on about critical thought, and you mentioned it yourself. We need to get out, turn the TVs off, and get the books out, and understand who we are, where we are, what's at stake here, and, 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 and read people who who have, read read C.S. Lewis, read read how great arguments are made. Read Lincoln, right, and, and, and realize that they're made to the common men in common terms that they can understand. Otherwise. If it's too convoluted, it's too hard for them to understand it. You don't don't understand it yourself.
2: C.S. Lewis talked about men with hollow chests, and that's exactly what we as a society have become, Uh, people that just have nothing inside, and there's nothing to fight for. It's about feelings. That's
0: that's it right there. You hit it in a nut. It's about feelings. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. we got a bunch of people here who went to Catholic school and had the nuns crack them on the wrist, which they probably deserved, and they they got their feelings hurt. And when they grow up, they, I'm never going to let that happen to my kids. I'm never going
2: to let my- Absolutely. And, and that's why we have you know, credit card debt, why we have – everyone wants to be able to you know, give their children something that they didn't have. And don't get me wrong. The best intentions, it, it, it's all about love. It's all about you want to be able to provide things that you can't afford because you love your kids and you, you want to give them a better life than you had. But at the end of the day, you're going bankrupt. Dude. and.
0: We don't understand. We don't understand what personal responsibility is versus what license is, right? License is I want it, I got, I deserve it, I own it, no matter what, right?
2: It's an entitlement. Yeah, it's absolutely.
0: We don't. These fundamental things have gotten away from us, and we need to get back to them.
2: Frank, that was well worth the forty-five minutes on hold. Excellent call. Thank you so much, as always. Frank in Buffalo on point. Ding him up. Put him. It was the Jim Rome show. Rack him. Let's put him in the uh, what do they call it? The clone off or whatever they do. Frank from Buffalo on point. Excellent, excellent call too too uh intelligent for this program if i could be honest let's go to kevin and alden kevin you're on wbn
4: how you doing um thanks for the thanks for taking my call uh i got a couple things i think out of a, a 10 pence did like a four uh in my opinion i don't think he came out very strong um i you know i I think it is what it is. Unfortunately, I don't think. He-
2: but just real quick, uh, Kevin, just defend why? Why do you give him a four? What would he have done? What did he need to do to get a ten? In your opinion?
4: Well, I think he could have defended. I, I think he could have defended Donald Trump a, a, a lot harder. Uh, like Dan said, I think he was three callers ago. I think he is getting ready for a 2020 election. I, I think if you uh, if you really You know, what brought back a thought in my mind is the show West Wing when, uh, you know, the vice president sort of now, obviously, Jet Bartlett was a president and his vice president, you know, they were president and vice president. But when he, he started to set himself up early, as you saw in the show, if you ever watched it, he started to do little things throughout the the process of being vice president to set himself up to run for president or to take over and i think maybe Pence will do that um eventually um i'm not saying it's gonna be a bad thing but um you know i i think what is damaging towards hillary clinton is the whole guccifer 2.0 that came out today that was released i think it, it was released today and i i i read it and you know, as we all know, she's bought and paid for by Wall Street. I mean, that's, that's, you know, that's always been her thing. Oh, we
2: learned that from the Sanders uh, campaign.
4: Absolutely, we did. And another thing I did want to make a point about is, you know, I, I see on a lot of social media posts, uh, a lot of liberals, a lot of people that are for Hillary Clinton, uh, for some reason they think that everybody takes immunity, Okay. I got right. into an argument <laughs> some that
2: they, That's a really good point, Kevin. I, I've heard that quite a bit on Facebook.
4: Right. Well, anybody can take immunity, and I made the point of no, unless you've <laughs> <done> something wrong.
2: <laughs> right.
4: You've done something wrong.
2: Why would you need it?
4: Right. You wouldn't need it, and you wouldn't take the, the Fifth Amendment. Now, um, I, I went back to. Uh, it was a guy named Nicky Scarfo, okay? He was a hitman for the mob, okay? He took. The Fifth Amendment, something like 149 times in like 120 minutes, okay, the Fifth Amendment. He didn't even want to acknowledge that his name was Nikki Scarfo, okay? So, and he was a, he's a, he's a, a mob hitman and he ended up being a mob boss, okay? So, you know, for some reason, these Hillary people that, that, that are for her, they seem to believe that anybody can take immunity if they've done nothing wrong now you only take immunity when you've done something wrong i think we can all agree on that but for some reason her supporters believe that um... that that anybody can take immunity and the other point i want to make is i have two friends one's a lawyer ones a tax professional who works for the irs okay he owns his own accounting firm and he works for the irs part-time during the tax season I had asked him about the whole tax uh, inquisition, we'll say, of Donald Trump releasing his records. And he said, no, he says he could release his records during audit. But, he said, but, I'll tell you something, we don't advise to release anything when you're under audit because you're under sort of an investigation. And the lawyer friend said, absolutely not. If 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 you were under IRS audit, I would tell you I I don't want you to release anything that has to do with your finances at this point in time.
2: And, you know, I I agree with all that, Kevin. Here's my thing. First of all, the immunity thing, you know, when, when you get an immunity deal and this is again, we're going to the DOJ. We could talk all day about what the FBI did. I mean, the FBI took computers from these people under an investigation and destroyed them for them after they got the information out of it which again you know this is not a common tactic that's done you allow a witness in a that, that's under investigation to then appear in the same room as the legal counsel for another person that you're investigating basically knowing she knows what she said under oath she knows what she said and now she's acting as a uh, you know as an attorney for another person under investigation so now she can basically coach the witness into agreeing with her statement as well, it's completely outside the bounds of, of of normalcy when it comes to these types of things. But to get to your point, which I think is an, an important point here, which is about the, the tax situation and what these you know professionals are are advising. All I, my only counter to that would be that if Donald Trump knows that these things, we Kevin, you've got secrets. I've got secrets. Everyone has secrets. Okay. You have to, When you run for office or you run for especially president, you have got to have someone in your camp that you're having to come to Jesus to. That you're saying, listen, these are all of my dirty secrets. Help me. If they come out, how am I going to be able to unravel them? Uh, and hopefully your candidate doesn't have a lot and they're really not that bad. But if they are, you have got. And the one thing that Clinton has is tr- loyalty her cronies are loyal. They go to jail for her. They they risk, you know, you know, prison for this woman and the family. You don't see that with the Trump people. And the problem I have is that if Trump knew that this was a problem, he should have had a better answer a long time ago. Than having the New York Times, you know, open up a box and say, "Look what we found," and then it's you know, I've got all these tweets that counter con- contradict what he said before.
4: Right, and you know what, what I find astonishing is um, I, I saw today on social media that the liberals, a lot of liberals, they, they say, you see, now we got his tax returns from 1995, and I said, I, I, I keep responding, it's 1995. I said, this isn't 1998. I said, this isn't 1997. This is 2016. Who cares about what happened in 1995? Who cares about 1995? I don't care. The guy lost a billion dollars. Okay, wonderful. That's not 2016. You want 2015's tax returns. Your people are ecstatic that you got 1995. Who cares about 1995?
2: Exactly, exactly. At a time when the economy wasn't that great anyway. Uh, and, and he was you know, floundering economically and he built his way back up. Kevin, thank you so much for your call. Good points. Uh, thank you, Kevin and Alden. We're going to take a break. We come back, more of the program, more of your calls. Stay on hold, 803-0930-STAR-930, 1-800-616-WBN. I'm David Bellavia You can text us at 30930. I'll be here until 1 a.m. It's News Radio 930 WBN. I want to thank... Rich Root, for all your help and running the board and knocking things out and taking calls. And Mike Baggerman was here uh, doing some uh, production work and taking calls as well. So thank uh, Rich and thank Michael for everything that they do for this extended coverage of the Vice President debate. I'm David Belvia and uh, we're going to be here for another half hour. We want to get back to the phones, and let's talk to Jerry in Gadsville. Jerry, you're on WBN. Hey, Dave. Uh-
1: I'm very disappointed. I listened for a, I watched for a half hour and I turned it off. I can't take it, uh, and I'm probably not going to watch or listen for the rest of it till the election. Listen, I'd vote for uh, Trump even if he came out in a loincloth and with a Ku Klux Klan <laughs> thing on his head. Uh, it, it's exaggeration, but I, I don't get it. I mean, um, first of all, that biased moderator, if you want to call it that, it sounds like she's from grammar school. What would you do if you know, I, I, I just and the questions are the same old, same old and this smarmy little weasel looking uh smiling uh, pain uh in my you know, uh was uh interrupt well, Pence interrupted him a couple of times, easy kinda like way, and she kind of upbraids him, says, Look, Governor, it's his time, it's his two minutes but when Payne interrupts him. He doesn't say a peep, and he... you know that it's Jerry. You, you bring up on with the wind, mild mannered, milk toast. Yeah, I'm sorry, Dave, but everybody is saying if he's got to do this, he's got to do it. Great points. They're not going to do it. I see it like they're writing on the wall. They just don't have it. They're, and I, I thought after the RNC that they he's going to win. Now I don't see it. I, I'm just you know so and the the, the cliche things. You know he could have fired he could have walloped him on with uh Trump's gonna fire she's gonna hire wait what same old same old they
3: they were
2: they they were very rehearsed uh, his he had his gotcha lines that he worked on in in his little debate prep and his you know yeah but but Jerry, you bring up a point though that that I, I, that format whenever you see uh normally when when you have a debate where there's they're seated at the table, you saw this with with Romney you saw it with uh Bush Kerry uh Romney Obama and McCain Obama those are the debates where they're they're allowed crosstalk more crosstalk than they than they're normally involved and and it's just the, in this election cycle you you can't have that because they're just no one there's no point in having a moderator they're just going to talk over each other and you know we we just saw the first CNN poll come out who won today uh, the AP has a poll out everyone has got uh, Pence beating Kane. CNN has him by three points. AP for two or three. But the point here is that you're, if you, you watched the first 30 minutes, and I have to tell you, that was the worst 30 minutes because there was hardly, you couldn't hear anyone talk. They were all over each other.
1: All right. Well, maybe I gave the guy luck or something because he could have said, look, uh, moderator, you wanted me to be quiet when he was when I was interrupt. What happened here is he, he's uh, is the same thing applied to him. I want some fire in the belly. I, you know, you, you know,
2: Jerry. By doing that, though, by doing that, it, it does kind of set. You know, Pence was saying that the Trump administration will be about strength, and by doing something like that, you really are showing strength. You're saying, "Listen, I'm not going to be pushed around here," and it would have been nice if if Pence would have pushed back.
1: I hope he did that in a, in a way I didn't see it. That's what I'm asking for.
2: No, no, Jerry, he did not do that. I mean, he, he was more passive aggressive, um, which which is his role. I mean, we're, we're not, we kind of know the way, I mean, Trump is this, this, you know, enigma of just testosterone and alpha male. And he wanted a running mate that was a little bit more, you know, even keeled and establishment conservative. And that's what he got with Pence. But Yeah, you're right. I think that Pence would have served himself better had he just kind of said, I'm not taking this anymore.
1: Strong. Yeah. You know, right? You know,
2: that that registers. It would have registered with you. It would have registered with me and, and millions of people listening.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Thanks, David. Yeah. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for waiting and uh, being on hold. Good point. Good call. We're going to take a break. When we come back. We're going to get to uh, more calls. Eight hundred three zero nine thirty. Star nine thirty. One 616 WBN. We're going to read some of your texts at three zero nine three zero. And we're going to show. We're going to play some of the debate cuts. Some of the highlights of what we saw uh, in uh, in the debate today. And man, this uh, this new um, uh, Mel Gibson movie that everyone's talking about, Oscar buzz here. It's, got, uh, it's called Hacksaw Ridge. They're just playing a, a trailer for it, November 4th. That looks like a great war movie if you're into that stuff. Hacksaw Ridge. It's already got Oscar buzz. Uh, people are going crazy over it. So, anyway, check that out. Uh, we're going to be back after this quick break and get to your calls after this on News Radio 930, WBN. All right, welcome back to the big, big program. I think it's Faith No More, right? There we go. Great, great song. David Bellevue here, and uh, take your calls 8030930 star 930 1 616 WBN. Play some clips, and then uh, we'll get to the phones. I want to play um, this was uh, interesting uh, number seven. Kane, uh, it's Tim Kaine, senator from Virginia, talking about Social Security.
4: First, we're going to protect Social Security, which was one of the greatest programs that the American government has ever done. It happened at a time when you would work your whole life, your whole life, raising your kids, working, being a little league coach or a Sunday school teacher, and then you would retire into poverty. And Social Security has enabled people to retire with dignity and overwhelmingly not be in poverty. We have to keep it solvent. and we.
2: All right, and that's uh, uh, that's Kane talking about Social Security. Mike Pence came back with his take on Social Security. It's clip eight.
8: It's Mike well, Pence. Yeah, here uh, Thanks, Elaine. Uh, there they go again. Okay. Don, all Donald, go read, Trump, go all read Donald the book. Trump and I have said about Social Security is we're going to meet our obligations to our seniors. That's it. Go read the book. We've said we're going to meet the obligations of Medicare. Uh, th- that's what this campaign is really about, Senator. And I get this is... This is the old scare tactic that but, they roll but, out. Scare but you have a voting record, Governor. And, and I get all of that. I, I, I just look. I I There's a question that you asked. A little I bit can't earlier believe that that I you
4: have to won't defend to. your own voting record. I, I have
8: to
2: go. I want to get it. to clip three here. This is what you see. We, we can't even play a clip of what Mike Pence is talking about without Tim Kaine interrupting. There's not. I mean, you can't edit him out of it. Uh Let me get the clip. Uh, clip. Um, let me see here. Uh uh, yeah, clip four. Here's Mike Pence talk, trying to talk, and Tim Kaine, to his own detriment, is interrupting him, and that's what most people that watch the debate say. They, they don't like Tim Kaine because of this sort of behavior. Here's clip number four. Well, let me, let me say
8: first and foremost that uh, uh, Senator, you and Hillary Clinton would know a lot about an insult-driven campaign. It really is remarkable. At a, at a time when literally, in, in the wake of Hillary Clinton's tenure as Secretary of State, where she was the architect of the Obama administration's foreign policy, we see entire portions of the world, particularly the wider Middle East, literally spinning out of control. I mean, the situation we're watching hour by hour in Syria today is is a result of the failed foreign policy and the weak foreign policy that Hillary Clinton helped lead in this administration and create. Uh, the newly, newly emboldened the aggression of Russia, whether it was in uh, Ukraine, or now you, you their heavy-handed approach, you, you, you both their heavy-handed approach. You, you both have said Vladimir Putin a we're going to Russia in just a moment, uh, but I do want to get back to the but question But
2: in the midst, yeah,
8: Elaine, no, but, thank you. But, thank but, you. But, oh, now, language. listen to
2: what just happened there. So, Tim Kaine interrupts his two minutes, and she responds with, well, we're going to get back to Russia. We're going to zing Trump on Russia. Just wait. And then cuts off Pence's statement. She didn't allow the man to finish. He's like, hey, what about Russia? You guys love Russia. You love Putin. Putin's a great leader. You said that. You guys love Russia. And and she comes in as the moderator and, and says, you know what? We'll get. We're gonna hit Trump on Russia in a second, but let's go on to another question. I mean that that's what you had today. Uh, wh- I I just think this is the worst, the worst moderator. Uh, she, no control. If she's in, not in the bag for for Clinton, you know, when you do a debate, you should have your party affiliation on the uh, CBS News. Joe Smith, registered Democrat. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. At least we know where you're coming from. You know, uh, Lester Holt is allegedly a Allegedly. He's a a, a registered Republican, uh, according to Lester Holt. So there's something we learned. Michael in Buffalo, you're on WBN. Go ahead.
3: Hey, how you doing today? Hey, um, towards tonight. You know, they never talk about national security, it seems like. They're always talking about this nonsense about his income taxes and all that. First of all, it took two years to have uh, Obama's birth certificate, okay? But
2: It took longer than that, but uh, that's for the record. They're
3: always talking about proof, Dan, about proof of this. And, about, and they always bring up Os- Osama bin Laden as their trophy, which they threw the body overboard. And why... Uh, Pence and Trump don't say, you you know, you don't even have a body, that Barack Obama is a Harvard law professor and throws a body overboard, okay? DNA you could have got from Saudi Arabia. See, Mob 101 is get rid of the body, and that's what Obama and Clinton did. So we'll really never know without that burden of proof that that was Osama bin Laden.
2: Well, here's the deal. Once you're once you've lied over and over and over again, you have a legitimate argument where I don't trust you. Right. And, and so now you're wanting us to believe the suspension of I we killed bin Laden. Well, Show us the picture.
3: And that's how they're
2: able to get rid, uh, uh, away with
3: these email things. It all started with the disposal of Bin Laden's body. Now everything is up for just, oh, destroy this evidence, destroy that evidence. It's no big deal. And you know that Omar Mateen, right? Remember the uh, uh,
6: uh, Orlando murder? Right.
3: That guy worked for G4S. He worked in the federal courthouses. And he was security, one of the head security guys of the BP, that Whitewater movie. That guy worked for G4S at the uh, explosion in the Gulf of Mexico. You don't even hear a word about things like that in these debates. It's the
2: same old... But see, here's the the thing, Michael. I mean, when you... First of all, I don't understand the rationale of why they had to throw the body overboard. To to imply that people were going to make a pilgrimage to to uh, Pakistan to pay respect to Osama bin Laden. To me, that's actually a really good thing because it allows you a, a coordinates to bomb. I mean, if people are going to show up and pay respects to bin Laden, you almost want to get a photo of that to see these are the people that you're going to be fighting in six months. You
3: know what else, Dan, I think is really creepy? The day before the train crash, Comey, Obama, and Brennan all came Indirectly and directly threatened the troops and they threaten the American people that if the 9-11 Commission sued Saudi Arabia, we better watch out. The very next day a train crashes in Hoboken, New Jersey. And now nobody, they stop talking about that. You know, was the was the engineer drugged? I want to know more about that. I want to know more about the bombings in New York City.
2: We have no information about this stuff, Michael. And I, I appreciate your call and appreciate waiting on hold. But here's the thing: you, know, you you listen to a guy like Michael, and you think, well, you know, that, there's a lot of conspiracy theories there, and I don't, I'm not sure if I'm really tracking on all that. Well, you know what? You open the door when you claim to be the most transparent, you know, uh, administration in the history of the the American government. And you, if you want to keep your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you have a doctor, you like your doctor, keep your doctor. And then we find out that never was, in, you, not only was it not true, but you knowingly know, knew it wasn't true when you said it. You, you set up a system uh, you know, with Obamacare to you know, bash it through the House of Representatives, force it down the throat of the Senate, and do it you know, like the New York Safe Act, and then we find out what really was your intent at the time that you wrote this legislation. So, look, you know, you've played on the ignorance of the American people. You've been caught in lie after lie after lie. We didn't give cash to uh, the Iranian government. That's not true at all. We didn't do it. Well, actually, there's pallets of cash on this plane. You didn't exchange that for prisoners. We would never exchange money for prisoners. And you know that. I mean, you, Barack Obama got in front of the press pool and chastised people who questioned whether or not he was telling the truth on if there were pallets of cash that were exchanged for for uh, prisoners of war. Or for, I should say, people that were, there uh, weren't prisoners of war. These were uh, kidnapped Americans. He straight up said nothing to do with it. That, that turns out not to be true. So you open the door to people saying, wait a minute, explain this to me. Explain that to me. Those... You breed conspiracy when you have an administration that you don't trust, and whether it's the the Warren Commission or if it's you know uh, again, the transparency it's so easy to disprove a conspiracy if you just are honest about what happened and the bin Laden thing from the very beginning, I happen to believe that they did kill bin Laden because you know talked to enough guys in the community and I hear what they have to say, and I I take their word for it. But honestly, I don't understand why they dumped the body overboard. I don't understand this argument of we can't show the picture because we're going to incite more violence and more people are good. Well, certainly, they don't have a picture. We don't know where the body is. And ISIS had no problems, uh, you know, starting a a club and and beheading Christians and raping women. So, I mean, I, I don't the rationale doesn't make any sense. It's like, you know, in an effort to—and again, it comes down to feelings and sensitivities. We don't want to offend our enemies. We stoop to conquer our enemies. We treat them as if these are children. And in a way, it it, it not only speaks to the ignorance in which I think the Democratic Party has adjudicated the war on terror from the beginning, but it also kind of speaks a little bit to a bourgeois, narcissistic elitism— That you think that you are, you know, you're basically making the argument that these are mongrel animals that don't understand reason. They're Middle Easterners who are just dirty farmers, right? The way they look at coal miners, the way they look at Trump supporters. It's It's the same ideology. And so... Well, naturally, if we show them respect, maybe they'll come to the table. Maybe they'll they'll wash their hands before they eat dinner. Maybe they'll they'll understand what fork to eat the salad with. Well, who the hell are you? These people have been. This is their culture. This is their way of life. I mean, you want to talk about you know community policing and respecting minorities in the city? What respect have you shown minorities? You've looked at black people for for. You know, almost a hundred years as just a a, a a voting block. You haven't upheld any of your promises to them. I, I, I just don't understand why we have to make the argument here that you're looking out for our best interests by respecting the enemy in a sense that honestly, you're showing them more respect than you do people that disagree with you. And that's a that's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. When when you're going to tell you're going to lecture to me, uh, the way that the sensitivities of an enemy that literally, if you want to defeat the you want to win the war on terror, you have to take the romance out of jihad. You take the romance out of the recruiting of jihad. It has nothing to do with computers. It has nothing to do with YouTube. I mean, again, it it what it really comes down to. We talked. We heard a lot about the standard of forces agreement. Michael brought up a lot of good good points here about I don't trust and I don't believe. Well, the standard of forces agreement, that is the biggest bastardization of what actually happened during that time with the Obama administration. George W. Bush, the hated George W. Bush, he met via uh, video conference with Nouri al-Maliki, the prime minister of Iraq, every single week. He had a live conference call with the prime minister of Iraq during the worst moments of of Iraq, the, the war, during the, the surge, and after the surge, he's on a conference call every single week with the Prime Minister of Iraq. When Barack Obama, and you know what, I'm not, I don't toot my own horn here, I was a part of a group called Vets for Freedom, and in 2007, in Vets for Freedom ran ads when Senator Obama, running for president, it was actually 2008, it was at the end of seven. Uh, the, the, right before the Democratic uh, Convention in, in Denver, we ran a series of commercials because Obama was pontificating about Iraq and the war and it was a failure and the surge wasn't working. And New York Times came out with that General Petraeus uh, ad, the, the, the play on Petraeus. They, they had betray us that the, the General Petraeus was lying to Congress and lying about the success of the surge. So Vets for Freedom, the first group, we ran a series of multi-million dollar ads all over the country asking Senator Obama to go to Iraq, see for yourself what is happening in Iraq. Obama had never been as a senator to Iraq to see for himself what's going on. So we'll take credit for it because no one else was asking him to do it. The media started asking him, well... Are you going to go to Iraq? Are you going to see for yourself? McCain's talking about it. He's been there a million times. Why don't you go over there and see for yourself? Obama goes to Iraq, and he falls asleep during a PowerPoint presentation given by General Petraeus. Multiple witnesses saw it. He was totally disconnected. He never left the wire. He sat down, got off his plane, fell asleep, was rude, put his feet up on the table in front of a bunch of generals, chewed bubblegum, got back in a plane, and went back home to the United States. He was completely disinterested in what was happening in Iraq when he was running for president. Now you got a president with George W. Bush meeting with Maliki, Maliki through video conference every single week. You have Obama winning the presidency, has never once met with any of the leadership of the Iraqi government from 2008 till 2010. There was a moment at the UN, the first meeting where, where Obama's making his apology tour. He went to Egypt. He went to, uh, uh, you know, the the famous Cairo University speech that he gave where he apologized for American, you know, uh, adventurism all over the world. When he was making these statements, he never went, even when he was physically in Iraq visiting troops, he never went to meet with Maliki. The man never sat down, even when Maliki was in the UN in New York, they were speaking at about two hours difference. Maliki and the Iraqi government tried to have a, a, a quick coffee with the president, didn't want to talk to him. This wasn't his concern. This wasn't what he wanted. So to make the argument that, that George W. Bush set a, uh, you know, a, a deadline for uh, the Iraq withdrawal is just a complete ignorance of the way standard of forces agreements work. You're not going to have an outgoing president. Obama is not going to set a standard for the next president and, and even if there is a standard of force agreement with Afghanistan or, or, or Japan or, or the Philippines, even if there is something going on, the next president can, can unilaterally walk into that SOFA agreement and say, hey, we're not doing this anymore. You're the president of the United States. You're the commander in chief. You can do whatever the hell you want. So the argument of we need, you know, 50,000 troops on the ground, we need 35,000 troops on the ground. The Iraqi government was asking for a minimum of 35,000 troops. And we have, we have records. We have statements made. General McChrystal was fired for talking to Rolling Stone magazine about the, uh, the, the, the requests of troops that were denied by Barack Obama. He directly listening to generals and saying, hey, I know better than you. I was a community organizer. I know the military. And, and what happened in Afghanistan. The guy who denied the success of the surge in Iraq, denied the fact that if you increase troops in a slow creep, uh, you can actually you know, jettison the, the enemy, secure the population, all the counterinsurgency measures that he denied in Iraq, the first thing he does as president is bust open another 65,000 troops to send to Afghanistan. He surges in Afghanistan in the same principle, moving Petraeus, to run the war in Afghanistan, acknowledging the success of the surge in Iraq without saying it publicly. And then you got Biden, you've got Clinton, everyone running around in 2010 saying, hey, the success of Iraq is our administration's gain. We did this. We won the war, and now we're going to end the war in Iraq. And all the generals, the Iraqi government saying, no, don't do it. Give us at least 25,000, 35,000 troops. They won't leave the wire. We'll give them immunity. They won't be charged in Iraqi prison if something bad happens in an Iraqi court system. Just give us thirty-five. He said, no, no, but I'm going to take Petraeus. I'm going to have him run the war in Afghanistan. I'm going to put 65,000 boots on the ground in Afghanistan. And what happened? Now we find out through leaked reports, through retired generals, through uh, you know, situation reports that you, you never had a strategy in Afghanistan either. You, what was the point of surging? You give your son and daughter to the military, you lose your son and daughter, and you find out that your commander-in-chief never had any sort of plan outside of putting more troops on the ground. Why are you even doing that if, if, if you think that Afghanistan is going to be a 50-year deployment? I mean, the lies that come out of this, it's just nonsense. And then all you liberals, all you Democrats that were against the Iraq war, but we were against the war, we had no business doing it. What was the point? Defend what the hell we were doing in Libya w- what, what was the Powell doctrine in Libya the, the, What was the point of Libya You had a stable government You had a, uh, a, a dictator Benevolent dictator But still a bad guy Who gave us his weapons of mass destruction program in 2003 For, for you know all intents and purposes With cooperating with the West Fighting Al-Qaeda on his own And you do what you decide, because of Sidney Blumenthal, who's taking CIA headers on emails and putting his own intelligence, and Sidney Blumenthal, we find out, has economic interests in Libya, and you decide to decapitate the, the dictator of Muammar Gaddafi and create a vacuum and use former al-Qaeda in Iraq soldiers of the enemy, arm them, give them situational awareness, give them special forces to bring in air suppression and and drop JDAMs on the heads of the uh, Libyan uh, military. And then you look back and say, my God, what's happening in Libya? I mean, you don't find it odd that the brand new Toyota trucks that were given to the rebels, quote unquote, are the same Toyota trucks that are driving into Mosul not even six months later? I mean, come on. You can't defend that if you're a liberal. You can't defend that if you support Clinton. I mean, today you heard Tim Kaine say that the world is a better world having Hillary Clinton as our Secretary of State. Does anyone believe, your most ardent liberal, does anyone believe that we live in a safer world today than it was in 2008, 2007? I mean, I, I don't know how anyone can make that argument that we are in a that, that terrorism is not a a serious problem, that our borders that we want to live in a globalist country that we want an open border, that we want to have UN and and uh, European ideology infect what what's happening in America, it makes no sense. It's it's total nonsense. But again, the stand, trying to blame George W. Bush for 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 the situation that the Iraq War ended. Complete disrespect. I'm so glad that Governor Pence brought up the fallen soldier from Fallujah. I think that's a, a, an excellent point to underline the fact that blood and treasure was lost there. Completely disrespectful. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, more of the uh, post-debate show. We're going to wrap this thing up like a nice, perfect Christmas present. And then read some more text. 30930 if you want to call in. Now's the time to do it. 80, what is it? Uh, 803-0930, star 930, 1-800-616-WBN. Last last segment after this on News Radio 930 WBN. Welcome back uh, to the program at Soundgarden for you. I like your taste in music, Rich. Very well done. Let's go to the phones real quick. We're going to wrap this thing up. And I want to get you a chance for your final word on the vice presidential debate. Let's talk to Charlie in Tanawanda. Charlie, you're on WBN. Charlie, you there? I hear you. No? Hey, Rich, we got his volume up over there? Yeah? Yeah, Charlie, go ahead.
3: Who am I, Aberdeen? Yes. Saudi Arabian. Mm Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton's uh, top advisor, she's connected to the uh, uh, Bin Laden family in Saudi Arabia, okay? How is she privileged to classified information and with the 9-11 Commission and all this? No one's asking those questions at any of these debates.
2: Well, we caught her in a big lie, too, because her mom ran or her parents ran a a newspaper that was fairly sympathetic to Al Qaeda during 9-11. And Huma has always said that she had nothing to do with that paper. And then we find out that she was actually the editor in chief during 9-11, which was putting out this anti-America propaganda during that time. So she has a lot to uh, explain. But, yeah, the biggest question is how do these people get security clearances
3: from Saudi? she, She grew up in Saudi Arabia, came here to go to college. And she's got all this all this access to Hillary's emails and all this, and then they delete them. I don't know why these questions aren't asked at these debates to Hillary and and, and the nation. I don't understand uh, who's who's mistaking? you know
2: like right, right. but you know there was actually uh, a couple of congressmen, uh, one of them uh, Michelle Bachman. The other one was a gentleman from uh, uh, Arizona congressman uh, Trent Franks. Uh, that uh, about 2009, 2010, they actually held a press conference talking about uh, Huma and her connections to the Muslim Brotherhood. And they were absolutely humiliated by the media. Even their own Republican Party said that Louis Gohmert was part of that group. They said, oh my God, you guys are just conspiracy theorists. How dare you attack this wonderful uh, Arab American? How dare you attack her integrity? And you know what? They were all right. Oh, (laughs) What was that? I'm saying it's that stuff is true. I know it was all true, but they, they you gotta you gotta Google what they did to those people that came out. It actually ruined Michelle Bachman's uh, 2012 uh, presidential uh, ambitions. She was going to run for president. They kept bringing this up.
3: His family in Saudi Arabia is directly connected to Bin Laden's family in Saudi
2: Arabia. It's it's there's so much there's so much underneath it, Charlie. Charlie, your last call of the day. Appreciate it. But your stuff on Huma is, I think, well warranted. Uh, there's a lot of stuff there that we're finding out about her. But the you know the question Charlie brings up is how do these people get access? I mean, just because you're, you're loyal, and that's really what comes down to this email thing. It's not, not so much that the server, you know, you had stuff that Russia and China and everyone else got their hands on, but you had people that you employed that did not have security clearances to look at the emails that they were looking at. Even the attorneys that are wiping these hard drives, the IT guys that are wiping these hard drives, they're not, at least Snowden had a clearance. I mean, he was a contractor, but Snowden got a clearance. Who the hell are these people? They're just guys off the street that they found to run a GoDaddy hosting service. They don't have any background. They have no license to look at this stuff. It's outrageous. I leave you with outrage. Hey, thank you for a great uh, uh, show here. Post-debate coverage, VP. Uh, we'll probably do this again during the presidential debate. want to thank Rich for all your hard work. want to thank Mike Baggerman. Uh, I'm David Bellavia, and we'll talk to you next time right here News Radio 930 WBN.